0: Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh.
1: And I'm Josh Hallman.
0: As a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the many cool things we do. So thank Mm -hmm. you for joining us here. If you have questions, topics, suggestions, as always, Please reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm also on those things. I am Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha3.0 on Twitter.
1: And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram, and Tasha is giving me a look. And I think I know what it means. I'm worried.
0: <laughs> You're fine. Everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got Every- ZOA?
1: No, I, I I traded in my ZOA, actually. Because I've been Uh-oh. drinking so much caffeine today, Uh huh. and I said, I'm going to go get a ZOA. And then I pivoted in the final second when I opened my refrigerator. And now Two. I'm drinking a celery juice.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's one of those days.
1: It's one of those days. <laughs> Stress eating.
0: Celery is one of my least favorite foods of all time, and you just juiced it. Really? That's disgusting.
1: Yeah. You drink your veggies, eat your fruit.
0: I mean, that's smart. It makes sense. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about Tony Gilroy, mm-hmm. but before we go into him and his greatness, we are going to do some This Week's in Writings, which I'm excited about because Josh has been burning to talk about things.
1: I have been, but it's bigger than Tony Gilroy. It's about character, right? Like creation of character.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's about Tony Gilroy talking about how he writes original screenplays.
1: That was the inspiration.
0: That was the inspiration. It's about original screenplays. That's our topic today.
1: All right. I have a couple very important things. Do you have any this week in writing?
0: No. No, I just want to hear all yours.
1: Oh, I have like 10. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to start with the big one. I went out to dinner. I start chatting with the server, and the server is a screenwriter. The the server's had some uh, smaller success. He's had some scripts optioned. He's come close. He has felt like he's come close. It hasn't quite, quite like amounted to what he wanted it to be. And we started to talk about the grind of screenwriting. And after our conversation or during our conversation, I was like, listen, man, you just have to keep going. We're all in this together. Had a little bit of Rose in my system. (laughs) So I was feeling a little good. And I was like, we're fucking just never stop. Just never stop. And I was trying to be as encouraging as I could. And the dude was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to keep going.
0: Didn't he say like he wanted to quit? Like he's like, after a year, I'm going to give it one more year.
1: that's right. That's right. So he said, I'm going to – like he kind of time stamped himself. I'm going to give myself about five more years or something like that. And I was like, but come on. Is this your dream? And then he like looked off into the distance and thought about it. And he said, I'll die before my dream does. And I was like, wow. And then I shook his hand (laughs) and then we went our separate ways.
0: That is the most beautiful story.
1: I thought it was such a like, like it was really thoughtful. Like I'll die before my dream does. That means he's going to keep going forever.
0: He's going to remember that night and it's going to encourage him forever.
1: It's going to encourage me. For I, who cares about him? I'm talking <laughs> oh, about wow. myself. All oh, right. Got, I've got I've got his quote in my head now, and I'm going to steal it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two ships passing in the night, who will inspire each other forever.
1: Yeah. So it was great, and I see him every so often. And this was like the first time we really started to talk about screenwriting. So
0: is this a is this a restaurant you're going to frequent or that you do frequent?
1: But yeah, I've been there a few times. Yeah, I okay, go there like okay. every other weekend. All
0: right. Cut to five years from now, you guys are co-writing a script.
1: <laughs> like, hey, man, remember that one day that brought us together? But yeah, I just thought it was so insp- uh, inspiring because we all go through it. And it was like one of those kind of like jolts that I think everyone needs to hear. We're all in the same boat together. And it's like, is this your dream? Yes. Is this why you moved to LA? Yes. Yeah. We've come this far. We might as well keep going and just keep fucking grinding. Yeah. Everyone, not just yeah. him, like everyone. I agree. So that was my and first. I,
0: and I know it was inappropriate at the time, given the vibe, to tell him that there's an Act 2 podcast. But just next time you go, yeah. maybe just write it on a napkin, slip <laughs> it.
1: I So for for everyone that's not you, Tasha, I, I messaged Tasha. I'm like, Tasha, this just happened. I gave the quote. You're like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Did you tell him about the Act 2 podcast? <laughs> I'm like, no, it didn't feel appropriate. I should hand and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> although it does the I, I think he could have benefited from it
0: that's what that's all i was saying
1: no i know i know like i cuz the things Cause you're talking, we were talking about, about
0: community you were talking about being there for each other and i was like yeah he has to know that like we're here like two podcast
1: yeah no he had no idea that i was like someone who thinks about screenwriting every moment of the day
0: <laughs> wait did he know he, did he know you were a screenwriter or did he think you were just some guy giving him a pep talk
1: that was a little so I kind of said I said I was, but it kind of got lost like early in the conversation, uh-huh. and then we kind of focused on him a little bit. But
0: well, know. I'd like some follow ups. Yeah, I uh, will definitely next time give you, you a follow up. The restaurant.
1: I have one more. I have two more. I have like four more, but I'm only going to do two more. Okay. Okay. It's about the show Severance.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: You haven't watched it yet. No. I won't give any spoilers. But I fucking love this show. I think, I don't know if it's underrated. I don't know if enough people are talking about it, but I love it. It's like the new Lost for me, which is really weird to say. Yeah, But Severance did something and it made me think of like a trick in screenwriting, which is really obvious. So there's a scene with a baby and without giving too much away, you feel like the baby's in danger. Mm -hmm. And it was really tense and you're like, oh shit. And there was like a good 10 minute period where you're like, is that baby okay? And like, they they were clearly playing on it. Like, Hey, who has the baby? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And it, it was so intense that I was like sweating and I was, my heart was like, I was just like talking to Nicole, my wife. And I was like, oh my God, the baby, She's like, no, it's, there's, there's no way they're going to do anything to this baby. I'm like, but the baby, where's the baby? And then, it, and then it got me thinking about that Breaking Bad sequence. Have you watched Breaking Bad?
0: Yes, but I've not finished it.
1: What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a topic for another day. Go on.
1: Okay. Well, spoiler alert, in like the last couple episodes, Walter White takes his baby. And you, you're like, oh my God, where's he going with this baby? And he ends up leaving it at a fire station. But it got me thinking about how the use of kids and babies mm. heightens everything to some crazy fucking degree. Mm. right? Rightfully so. But no one ever like goes there. It's almost yeah. like you have to really earn that. So if you're writing something, you want to heighten the moment, just throw a kid in there.
0: Okay. My pitch is three men and a baby mm-hmm. meets some kind of cop road movie.
1: Uh, oh, like a road cop movie. Yeah. Three men and a baby. What, like three cops that take off to deliver like a baby somewhere?
0: <laughs> They're in danger constantly. They're on the road and they have this baby they have to protect. I like that.
1: Is it like a chosen baby? Is there some sci-fi element?
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, if I'm writing it, yes, obviously there's magic somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was the baby that's been harboring like the emerald diamond. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like it's like willow, but with cops. Ooh, I... okay. Oh, wait, wait, I'm kind of into that.
1: Yeah, I've, I think I am too. I Anything with three men and a baby, I'm,
0: I'm in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love that movie.
1: I love that movie too. I think that's it. I think I'm going to cap my This Week in Writing off with that.
0: Are you sure? I've
1: been talking for a while.
0: I've enjoyed it.
1: Okay, I got one more. Okay. This one's an interesting one, Tasha. This is a very important one. Okay. So I have a friend. He's working with an actor. Hmm. And... The friend works in – he's a producer, and he's working with a screenwriter, actor, the whole thing. And without getting too far down the road and into specifics, in this script, which is an action script, the actor that is in the movie basically has asked for uh, certain tweaks because he doesn't want to come off as weak Mm -hmm. throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And there's another scene where, you know, something where he's like shirtless or he's like a hero – and yeah. the actor really wanted this to happen. Like he wanted his hero moment. Yeah. And it just I didn't know we were still here in this realm. Like Yeah. I don't think I, I know I don't know. I it was just interesting to me. Like I was like, wow. I actually find like people being like really vulnerable really cool. Yeah. And complex in characters. Like a like an issue with the character. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it, I don't know what exists. it is
0: either. And I, I mean, maybe since you are, you know, you're a SAG actor, mm-hmm. you might be able to have some, some interesting perspective here, but yeah. I'm curious. I mean, I, I obviously am not, never will be someone who's so in the spotlight that my body and my personality, um, are just scrutinized constantly by everyone out there. So like, I'm sure that must be part because I'm thinking of when I've worked on certain franchises when I was an assistant, how certain actors in those franchises would um, have very strong opinions about how their character was portrayed or Yeah, if they cried in a scene, they'd be like, "No, I'm not doing that because I want to become a strong, I want to be a strong man, and I don't want to, I don't want to cry in this scene." Or I need to be taller than this other actor in this scene, so you need to position me in such a way. Mm. And surely that must come partly from ego, but partly from this like scrutinization that must happen to them that we maybe don't understand. But it is interesting as a screenwriter because how do you get ahead of that? I don't know if you can. I I don't I don't know what the like. I don't know if you should be thinking about that in the screenwriting stage. I guess. That being said, though, I have definitely had a script where we were struggling to get a male co lead. It was really a, a female led thing, but there was the sort of biggest next actor was a man, and we were having trouble having people's men sign on to this project. In fact, a lot of the men who read it wanted to be. The female lead and just change the gender. (laughs) Um, yeah. But the problem we were having was that they didn't feel like cool enough. They didn't feel like manly enough. And so I was told that a a way to sort of manipulate actors into signing on to the role is to add a new scene. They're like, we'll take it out when we actually make the movie, but just to like get someone attached, add the scene that like heightens what's cool about them. Mm. And so they read it and they get pumped up for that.
1: <laughs> and then yeah. they
0: sign on to the movie and then in the editing room you just cut it.
1: Wow. I like that. Yeah, I mean this is crazy. We're still I, I get it. I totally get it. You want to look like the like a fucking cool guy. Like I guess so. People want to see that. You want to see yourself like that.
0: But don't you want to be in a movie where you have the range and the emotional complexity to cry as a character? Isn't that interesting? I think it is. I think it is too.
1: I think it. I think it's very interesting. But sometimes I think to myself, I'm like, well, maybe I don't know. Like, a lot of the characters that I write are vulnerable, and they will like want to cuddle and stuff like that. And I'm like, <laughs> is this normal?
0: You're just a softy, Josh.
1: I know. I I've learned that recently, actually. So I thought I was the other uh, other side, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just
0: a little cuddle teddy bear. <laughs> I know.
1: We're just going to hang out and cuddle, right?
0: <laughs> that's your sex scene. You go, got to write a sex scene. And it's just lots of cuddling. <laughs> that sounds
1: awesome. That sounds that comfortable. That sound great. It's just fucking
0: it's like safe, right? Yeah. That's great.
1: That's what I'm thinking. Anyway.
0: All right. Okay, let's get to our topic. We are talking about <laughs> thank you for those this week's in writing. Um, mm-hmm. we're talking about Tony Gilroy, who is the writer of Rogue One, the Bourne movies, Armageddon, Devil's Advocate, one of my favorites, Dolores Claiborne. Um Dolores
1: he, Claiborne. Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah, he wrote that kind of early in his career. And he, he wrote said Michael his, Clayton too. Yeah, and Michael Clayton. He says it's Dolores Claiborne is his only true adaptation. Oh that the Born movies are like not technically an adaptation because he's never read a Ludlum novel in his life. But oh. Tony Gilroy, <laughs> he did a lecture series with BAFTA a few years ago and it's highlighted on ScreenCraft. If you want to head over there and check it out, um, they have the video and they kind of break down some of the topics that he talks about, but we are breaking down the tips that he discusses in that BAFTA lecture from a few years ago. Um, but as set up, Tony Gilroy says he sold his first screenplay when he was 30 years old and he talks about how after that he's done every type of work you can do in this industry from writing a page one original screenplay to getting it made to like one day rewrites that he's done for like an actor that he's only ever met over the phone, which I thought was like kind of a cool thing for him to talk about because it acknowledges the business and the realities of how you really have to adapt to all kinds of different kinds of writings and different kinds of stressors. Like I can't even imagine a one day rewrite and how extensive that might've been. And I think that that's just an important thing to note that someone Mm -hmm. of his caliber writing Rogue One is kind of Making it very clear that you don't just go and write an original and you're an artiste and that's it. There mm-hmm. are all kinds of facets to this job. And that's just the job. Yeah. That's it. That's all I want to say is set up.
1: No, I love it. There's some really cool Rogue One stories about him. So mm-hmm. if you're listening, which you are, just go <laughs> search. Go search these stories because they're fucking really cool. I think he got paid a lot to write rewrite Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, from, from my understanding, if I, I'm just kind of recalling this right now, he didn't doesn't uh, have much knowledge of the Star Wars universe at all, and yeah. he was just kind of coming at it from like a character perspective of like, what would this person do? What would this person do? What would this person do? Yeah. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. And Rogue One's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's many people's favorite new Star Wars movie.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting story, and I'm glad he talks about it because um, I've also heard stories about just how clutch he was. He came in at a really difficult time during the process and um, really turned it around quickly and turned around really quality pages mm-hmm. that and again, that speaks to the business aspect of the thing, right? like he he didn't go in saying, well, oh, this is my vision for what Star Wars should be, <laughs> right Like yeah. he didn't he didn't try to like rewrite the book and and put his stamp on everything. He came in and said, okay, what do you need? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write the best possible thing for you to get there. Like it, it was very kind of mechanical. I yeah. think professional, but and very professional. It was a job, which yeah. is just a really good reminder. Okay, so the lecture series. He says in this lecture that the rules and tips that he brings up are as much a reminder to him as it is to everyone else that he's talking to, because even he forgets them as he's writing, and that to me was a very important piece that I don't think we talk enough about. I think you and I, Josh, we talk about often how completely fallible we are on this Uh podcast, but something that I tend to do Um, is if I see kind of a rules list come out, like Aaron Sorkin's 10 writing rules to live by or whatever that is. When I read something like that, I think, oh, these professional writers, they got it. Like they just get it. They're such pros that they live by these rules the way I breathe there. It's just like instinctive for them. Yeah. And so what I love about Tony in this lecture series is that he immediately acknowledges, look, I know what I should be doing. But I forget these rules all the time. Yeah. And that's just kind of the business of struggling, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, should we just start with kind of number his number one tip of creating? Again, it's about creating original screenplays. Yeah. And these are his kind of seven tips for doing that.
1: And I just want to say what you just said about what he said is <laughs> great. It really is because we all, I feel like deep down inside, know what we should be doing. We all know we should be setting time aside, not going on the internet, focusing on X, Y, and Z, planning. But a lot of us, myself included at times, don't do it. And it's, yeah. it's like, you kind of have to go back to your North Star and just latch on to that direction. And you're like, this is what I have to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when people are like, treat this like a job or what, like, that's what it is. It's like, you have to just set time aside and be like, yo, I'm sitting in an office and people are looking at me, so I can't fuck around right now. Yeah. I gotta, I have to be on my game.
0: Yeah. And I think even like another side of that is, and I've like, every time I start a new project, I feel like I text you and I say, how do you write a movie again? (laughs) Because you stare at the blank page and you're like, wait, how do you start stories. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I think this is an example of, of him saying, I do the same thing, everybody, but here's what I try to remind myself of.
1: Yeah. So good.
0: Yeah. So number one, let's go. Number one is you cannot teach someone to be imaginative. Is that really a tip?
1: (laughs) No. No, I don't think it is, but maybe it's more or less a lesson or a reminder of like, Hey, you can't teach this. I don't know. Yeah.
0: He, well, what he goes on to say is that this is imaginative work, right? Like our job is literally to just make shit up. And that's not something you can read in a book. It's not a class that you can take. Yeah. So I think it's like a reality check to remember to like break out of those rules and those, um, the teacher in your head that's mm-hmm. telling you can and can't do things be imaginative. That's literally our job. And he does talk about how he thinks imagination can be trained. It's something that you can grow and hone and get better at, but it's not something that you can learn.
1: Yeah. And something I think was what he also was talking about is like, if you can't get lost into a story or a concept or a world or a collection of characters with your imagination, then there's no way you can possibly be an original screenwriter. Yeah. Is what he said. And I think there's some truth to that. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, like yeah. you you do kind of have to get lost in things when you're viewing them and you have to really love them in order for you to do it yourself. Yeah. I think.
0: It's interesting. I met someone recently uh at WonderCon and he he's he's like so into comic books and has so many ideas. I was like, "Why don't you write?" And he's like, "I'm not a writer." I was like, well, are you a drawer? Like, what do you mean? Like you you have ideas? He's like, No, I don't draw either. I was like, Well then what do you what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, I'm a creator. I was like, I don't know what that means. If you don't write, you know, he's like, I just create characters. Mm. And what I appreciated about him is his—he understood that that didn't mean he could then be a comic book writer, right? Because just because—and we had this all the time—when you're a writer, you know, you go home for Thanksgiving, and every second cousin wants you to do their movie idea because they think it's a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. But just having the idea doesn't make you a writer. It's all of these things. It's being able to imagine and immerse yourself into the world and transport yourself there and tell that story that makes you a writer. And as Gilroy says, like, that's not really something you can teach, which I just think is kind of interesting. Um, But I want to say that something that really stuck with me that I think I've even said on this podcast before is my manager once said to me that in her experience, there are different types of writers. There are writers who can do the original screenplay, and it's fantastic. The Tony Gilroys of the world, the Aaron Sorkins of the world. And, and there are people who can adapt really well, but they can't create their own original stuff to save their lives, which part of me wonders if I'm in that category. Wow. Um, and, then, and then the third type of person, or t- third type of writer she's met is someone who can revise the hell out of a script someone's already written it they can come in and just make it so much better and make it shootable and that's a whole other skill and these are all three different skills and like the rare unicorn in her opinion as a manager and a producer is the writer who can do all three of those things Mm. and i think this speaks to it is, is and what you said i think speaks to it is that yeah um you may not be an original screenplay writer you may be an adapter Maybe yeah. that's your thing. If there is already a world in place and characters in place, because that's not your strong suit, maybe that's actually yeah. where your strengths lie. So something to think about.
1: Yeah, I love it. Let's move okay. on. Number two. Right. That's great. Number two. Begin with a small idea. That's What does that two. mean? I actually love this. This is how I take it, even though there is an explanation. I love this because we always have these really big ideas as screenwriters and we want to create a world and we want to create a multiverse and we want to create sequels and all these different things. But at the core of all of our ideas is a relationship, is a certain specific story that you want to tell. It is my father-son story, your daughter-mother story or whatever. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's what we want to tell. And then you build out from that yeah I, I feel like there's a little nucleus, and then you just create this world around it. And I think that is how I always view like begin with a small idea.
0: yeah, I love this because I wrestle with this all the time, and you and I talk about it all the time because of that, where again my my manager has tried to get me to write original screenplays and her starting point, I yeah. because she's a producer and a manager, is what is your big idea? What is the thing you want to talk about? And I've tried doing that. As my starting point, like, oh, what is my theme? Like, I really want to talk about corruption in Washington, D.C. It's like, great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's not a story. That's not a <laughs> movie. I don't know yeah. what that is. And it's so much harder to start with that than to start with a smaller idea, which you're right. It's like, what is the cool character what is like the complex character relationship i want to do like mother daughter father son is a really great starting point tony gilroy has a couple other options of small ideas where he's he says a moment in time mm-hmm. can be a small idea a point in history a situation between two people like these are all small ideas and this is where his movies usually start and yeah. he, he also talks about when he's been hired to write something and the big ideas are the things that producers are juggling back and forth. He comes in as like, no, like that's not helpful. We have to stop mm. doing that. We have to figure out what the small story is. And, and for example, um, for the Born movies, I, I guess the, this came up for those movies. And he's like, we have to start over. Like, we have to figure out what it's about. Like, what is this movie about? What is the small idea? And he realized that the small idea was atonement, was mm. this man who had done bad things, didn't remember them, and had to atone for those sins. And suddenly the movies suddenly had purpose. Yeah. So when you have the small idea, you can build from there. And that's where the third thing comes in, which I think is really interesting. But before I get into that, he did mention one example that I thought was really interesting about starting with something small. And one example he gave was you something small can be technical, which
1: I like that is
0: interesting. And, and he mentioned his movie duplicity as an example where what he knew was that he wanted to do a movie where the characters, this couple has three different scenes. And each time that scene happens, something completely different happens from their perspectives. And that's all he knew was that he just wanted those flipped perspectives in three different scenes. And he didn't know what story he was going to tell. But that ended up being the small idea that grew into the movie, Duplicity. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. That's cool. So now that you have your small idea for your original screenplay, what do you do with it? Well, he says, number three is play with your idea. And for him, he says that that's just sitting in front of his computer. And he kind of says that all he does is write out dialogue, which I thought was really interesting. And he says he's worked with people who kind of think about plot first, which we talk about all the time. Like, where do you start with a story? Do you start with plot? Do you start with character? Right. And he says he starts with character and he just writes documents of dialogue out because he, as, we, as he describes it, quote unquote, that characters have to rise and he has to just see them play until he figures out who they are. So I don't. how do you feel about this part of the process landing here at like the number three step of the process?
1: Well... I guess I feel good about it because it's Tony Gilroy and and he, he clearly, you know, has, has some kind of idea, but what what you're saying is I've kind of learned this about myself as well, that it takes me a while to figure out dialogue Mm -hmm. where I also, but I don't do it in different documents. I do it in the script and I'm just writing pages and sometimes the first two pages are just like, hi, hi, how are you? Good, good, and it's just like this little back and forth, back and forth. And you start getting into the meat of it. And then you start getting their rhythm, and then you look at it, and you're like, okay, I can combine all of these things. So, I, I like that idea of playing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he jumps around or what, but like, I, which I can't do. Um, if that, mm. if that's what he means by like playing with like uh, structure or something like that, but
0: I don't know. It's. He didn't go into a lot of detail in his lecture. He just said that it's primarily just dialogue to, to figure out how the characters sound with each other. Yeah. And it is interesting because I also don't do it at that stage. I I often am, am finding it in the scripts and honing it as I'm writing the actual script. But as he says later, he wants to spend as little time in the actual like final draft screenplay as possible. Like wow. that to him is like the last tiniest last step so he does he like front loads all of the work which is pretty interesting like i want to try this on my next yeah. thing of just yeah and i i wonder what that looks like is it just random scenes that are probably not going to be in the movie but it's like and sometimes i do this where i i almost do like journal entries from my character's point of view which helps me find their voice and what they care about but what yeah. if you even go one step further and just write random scenes, like have your character go into a coffee shop and see what happens just to find their voice. Like, yeah. Front loading that work could be really interesting.
1: So man, I wish, I mean, we should have them on, but I wish, uh, <laughs> I wish we could figure out, like, I am curious about people who do this. So anyone does this, I'd please let us know. Like you're writing other scenes off to the side and then you're like, okay, I'm ready for script. Like mm-hmm. the, Holy grail. I'm going into the my draft. And then you start writing it out. Don't you alter it still? Or is that it? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, everyone's different. There's no right or wrong way. I just yeah. completely keep going and going and going in my draft.
0: Yeah. Um, you keep honing and honing I do. until you get it right. Yeah. Only
1: because I, I, I feel like it's like a, like a piece of artwork. And yeah. I need like one thing. I need one canvas. I can't have all these different little like canvases lying around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you do just this like first play with it, brainstorm dialogue document, just get it all out, kind of get a sense of the characters so that when you actually do start playing in the script, which you can still do, because that's, that's your process. But if I wonder if that process now is just more streamlined or it takes less time to do if you're,
1: you know what? I'm just starting to realize you know how we I, – I, on a past episode, we talked about how some people write their backstory for their characters, mm. and you and I both acknowledge it wasn't helpful for us? Yeah. Maybe this is the other version of that. Like, mm. this is like – you kind of have a grasp of who your character is, where their character came from, all you know, the basic stuff. But it's like, what does your character sound like in a scenario before – like, like, what is it – like, in my case, I have, like, a character, you know – Dan and Sarah, like, what do Dan and Sarah sound like in a different scenario? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're just trying to, like, get in a car accident and then just
0: write that scene. What does that look like? Yeah.
1: Yeah. If if I were a manager, I'd make my clients do that.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I think we should just do that with each other.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's actually. Okay.
0: Well, so one, one. One example, one example he gives with (laughs) Michael Clayton, which speaks to exactly your point about scenes is that he just had a scene in his brain that he knew he liked. And then he just kept coming back to it, but he'd get pulled away by like the Bourne movies or whatever other job that he actually had to do to pay his bills. But like the scene kept bothering him in his head and he would always come back to it and tweak it and this, you know, play with it document that he has. And then finally he got it to a place where he's like oh now it's right and now it's it can be the crux of my movie and it's the scene in Michael Clayton which I've never seen the movie I'm sorry tony <laughs> so,
1: you never heard. seen michael yeah, clayton I'm
0: sorry i've seen so many bits of it that i feel like i've seen it no but yeah so i i i can't, I can't even pitch the scene because i don't know the context of the scene but yeah so i i think that's an interesting sort of um result that can come out of this kind of play with it Part oh, to of have the, the process? Cr-
1: the crux of the movie.
0: Yeah, you might find a scene that you're like, wow, I can really visualize this and the dialogue is coming through for me so strong yeah. that maybe because it's so important or because I keep coming back to it and can't stop thinking about it, that might actually be what the movie's about or that might be a really important scene in my movie and kind of keep that. that but you find it during this brainstorm process.
1: Two things. Number one, I'm coming at you like I could recite Michael Clayton and I can't. I It's been a long time. <laughs> And I think just because everyone talks so highly of it, I'm like, oh my God, you (laughs) haven't seen it. So that's number one. And number two, I use George Clooney in my head for a lot of examples when my character, male character, needs to be kind of like that dashing guy who's who's sliding in on a woman. In my brain, I'm always like, what would Clooney be doing right now? (laughs) I
0: I don't think that's a wrong instinct.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like how would Clooney... And then he's just looking at... anyway. So Tasha, yes, you've played with it. Hmm. <laughs> you've <laughs> you've you you've done some dialogue, and now you're moving on to the number four that Tony Gil- Gilroy talks about. Hmm. You have to know and you have to understand human behavior. Boom! This
0: is like one of my favorite ones. I know there's only seven, <laughs> but <laughs> because he says something, he has a quote here that. I just thought was super interesting the way he worded it, where he said the quality of your writing is absolutely capped at your understanding of human behavior. Mm -hmm. So you can't write any better than you can understand human behavior, because that's the quality of the script that's going to come out of you. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're writing orcs or you're writing Anne Boleyn, (laughs) like you have to understand human behavior and you have to have empathy And the reason why is because, of course, when you get into a script, you're having characters talk to each other and it's emotional and it's life changing. And it's even if it's action, you're still having really traumatic things happening to your heroes. If you don't understand how humans behave in these scenarios, you're going to have a really tropey, cliche script that just sort of does stuff. Yeah. Versus bringing the audience in and making them really feel for what's going on because audiences empathize with watching that's they. it's just sort of a passive thing that happens when they watch a story um, that they're not going to be able to do if you're not already injecting that into your scene so I just thought this was yeah. super spot on
1: yeah no this is like character like I love this yeah I have recently found myself in scenarios where I don't know Like it's outside of my zone. Like I have characters in an action setting and now they're, they're, you know, they're doing something that I can't really wrap my head around because I've Mm -hmm. never like murdered people as an action. (laughs) So.
0: So don't go do that as research.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. But I guess to be honest, like a lot of things in screenwriting have really helped me understand scenarios and people in the real world because Mm -hmm. it kind of, I'm always thinking to myself like, all right, this person's angry. But why are they angry? Like what's yeah. going on here? There's there's a reason why they're angry and I'm not gonna just lash back at this person.
0: Yeah. Maybe they're that's had a bad so day. interesting. Like I do feel like that makes us become better people because I'm always doing that. I'm always yeah. like, oh, that person was just really horrible to me. Something must be going on because we all we all know villains aren't just villains. Like right. they have trauma in their lives, they're having a bad day, and it does help me empathize with people more. It is sort of a, a give and take there.
1: No, totally. And I, have been in scenarios where my friends have written people off. I mean, I've definitely written people off. I'm not saying like I'm better than some of my friends, but like I've written or they've written people off and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like what, what's going on here? Especially in the last like six years or whatever it's Mm -hmm. been, like there's been a lot of like turmoil and, yeah, uh, I just always kind of look at it and like, well, you know, you can break bread with anyone. Like what's, what's going on here?
0: see, you are just this mushy teddy bear cuddler guy.
1: Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> Moving on.
0: <laughs> Another thing that Tony Gilroy says in this section about knowing human behavior, because if you just for some reason don't feel like you get people, that's that's not necessarily a barrier here. But what he says is, speaking to that cliche of write what you know.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: His His feeling was like, he's curious all the time. And that is really, I think, the mark of good writers is writers who are constantly just, oh, I want to know more about that thing. Like, oh, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. They're reading up on news and history and like little bits of knowledge they just accumulate over their lives. And one thing he said, which I thought was funny, is that he said, my general knowledge of the world is incredibly wide and very thin.
1: He said he called it dinner
0: companion thing, right? Like he can talk about things over dinner, but beyond that,
1: (laughs) that's fucking Sabetti. I always say, Sabetti, you know a lot, or you know a little about everything. And yeah, you know he'll we'll be sitting down. I'm like, man, I just have to you know change something in my house. He's like, pour a little battery acid on it, and it'll dissolve (laughs) the fumes. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like the most obscure thing, and and yeah we've yeah anyway that's our buddy sabetti
0: yeah yeah a a writer in our in our writers group um yeah so that's another way to kind of know and understand human behavior and and do it in your script yeah all right number five develop an outline
1: Boom. i mean
0: josh is it surprising to you that he writes the outline at this stage like yeah. after he's written a bunch of dialogue from his characters.
1: I was going to ask you if this is out of like order. Like is this is this right? You write an outline after all of this stuff?
0: I'm into it. I like it. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think so.
1: Yeah, I mean we all know what it is to write an outline. I mean like we've talked about it a million times. I feel like the the thing to focus on here is – is this, is it, like what you asked, is this the right time to write it? <laughs> is this the outline?
0: right stage? Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say I'm happy that Tony Gilroy is in Team Outline, along with us, I think. Hmm. That just makes me happy about being in Team Outline. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, this is the part where he says, like, he does not want to be in the screenplay writing stage until the bitter end of the process. He's, he's avoiding that as much as possible. And for him, an outline has to go to the very end. I've definitely written outlines where I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of tired by the midpoint. I totally get what the second half of the movie is. I'm just going to go to script. And he's like, no, do not do that because it's going to harm you once you get to the script writing stage. And for him, he says his outlines have ranged everywhere from 30 pages to 80 pages long. And whatever it looks like, it has to be the entire movie. Yeah. And he says it can be loose and it can be ugly, but it still has to be... A movie when you read it from first paragraph to the last paragraph. Um, And this is to him where you're really building out the world. So you have your small idea, you've played with your characters, and now the outline phase is kind of where you're building out the space that your characters live in. And what I really appreciated about him talking about this stage was because he writes, of course, a lot of action thrillers, right? And because we write similar kinds of things... He just talked about how terrible it was, and how <laughs> hard it was, and how he hates it so much. But that's the job of the job, right? And and yeah. as he was saying, like, I have to sit down and just talk to myself, which I thought was interesting because you do this all the time where you will just verbally talk. And it sounds like that's something he does at this stage as well. As part of his outlining stage, he will just talk to himself and write that down. Yeah. Verbatim and until it becomes some kind of plotted form, which I thought was interesting.
1: You want to know what else is interesting? What? Number six here. What? Improve the outline story while writing the actual script. I was trying to wrap my head around this. I think the big takeaway I think with is that outlines shouldn't confine you. Instead, they should simply be a guiding force with the freedom of always being able to change direction. Yeah. All right this is a whole other conversation, but that alone is somewhat my, it's not my beef with outlines. It's just like, it's like how intense should an outline be? How extensive should an outline be? If you're going to change. I wonder
0: if the answer is just, it's as extensive as you need it to be. If you feel when you're done with, quote unquote, done with your outline, that you still don't know where the movie's going in certain sections. Because we all cheat, right? Like we definitely have sections in our outline where we're like, We'll figure that out. Like, we, sure. I can write a paragraph enough to convince the producer I know what's happening here. I'll figure 100%. it out later. Yeah. But if you don't cheat yourself and you're like, okay, let me do a little bit more work here. So I do kind of figure it out. It can completely change in the script once you get there, but yeah. at least you're, you're forcing yourself to, as he says, like put the whole movie down yeah. on the page. I think maybe that's the key.
1: Yeah. And something I, I mean, along the same lines I I think is really important is, is just kind of having the touchstones of your movie and like the turning points and like the, you know, what the beginning, the middle, and the end are
0: mm-hmm. and
1: things can change, but that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. I personally find that to be really helpful because once you start kind of altering, okay, well, what's my, my third act and what's my low, my low point and we how does this movie end? And what's the midpoint and th- like, and I just – I've been dealing with something where I had to change like act one and it, mm-hmm. it, it it's a fucking
0: headache. Yeah. An act one note is never a, just an act one note. No. I mean, yeah.
1: No, actually. your script sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, I
0: like about the – not what I like about it, but I think – What's clear about his point of view about outlines is that he feels like it's such a good blueprint for you that once you get to the script, again, he's an advocate of staying in the script writing phase for as little as possible. So he wants to write that script quick. And the best way to do that is to have an outline that's so complete that when you get to the script, he says, that's the fun stuff. Like that's where it should feel fun. The outline is when it's hard and you hate yourself and you want to quit writing and all those things. (laughs) But when you get to the script, it's just like, The movie's there already. Just make it better. Just make it more fun. And I've I've tried doing that on on the the features I'm working now. And I feel that way. I do feel like it's just because my outline is so complete, I can just kind of play in the script. And I'm not scared to play and and wander because I have my outline right next to me that's like my map. Yeah. And it's telling me where I need to go. So I, I don't know. I I'm into this. I'm into this idea.
1: I do too, and I think also it's cool for her. it's great that he admits that it's like, hey, listen, the outline can change, like things can evolve. You can you can go out. It's not like the outline is the outline is the outline. You yeah. must stick to the outline,
0: right? Yeah, and I think good producers will also, if you turn in a draft that's completely different from the outline for good reasons, right? Not yeah. just random reasons. They're like, yeah, no, that's the way it should be. That's part of the process. He is finding producers who know that. Yeah, that'd be great one thing he says in this section of his lecture which i thought was really interesting i wanted to bring up because it made me feel better is that he says whenever he gets to page 85 of his scripts he's like every single time i'm somewhere between 15 to 27 pages too long and that's always a moment that happens and he's like once (laughs) once your fear outstrips your confusion about how the hell this even happened he's like Go in and make cuts. That's just what you got to do. It's okay. Everyone writes that long. Just go in and make cuts. And that just made me feel better. So I just wanted to bring that up.
1: Yeah. Make yourself feel better.
0: (laughs) That's what we're here for. Okay. (laughs) All right. Number seven. It is about instincts, not formulas. Awesome. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, we talk about this topic a lot, but someone – this was a QA and a question actually that came came up. Someone asked, "Hey, what about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey? Like, should we follow that?" And Tony Gilroy was like, "No, fuck that guy." <laughs> but he was also like, "Look, I've <laughs> wow. I've read I've read Campbell and the hero's journey and it's awesome, but also even what Joseph Campbell says in hero's journey is that the hero's journey is instinctual. It's something we all know. Yeah. And something that Tony Gilroy talks about is like, look, everyone who's been a screenwriter, We're probably screenwriters because we watched movies our whole life and love them. And so, because we've been watching so many movies, we kind of instinctively know how a movie should go. We don't need someone to tell us, here is your midpoint, here's it. Like, you just know that there needs to be turning points. However, I have found that those kinds of formulas sort of help me wrap my brain around. Just w- practically where to put these things, yeah. And then once you get into it, you instinctually feel like, oh, my act one is way too long. Like, a setup is not working. Rather than being like, no, I have to. I, it has to be page twenty five. Sometimes you're like, no, it kind of has to be page thirty five, or kind of has to be page fifteen. Yeah. And that's where the instinct comes in. But I'm not a proponent of saying like, don't ever look at formulas. That's just I agree. me, though.
1: No, no. I'm. I mean. I'm completely with you. I actually, I like the formula. I like formulas because it does exactly what you said. Yeah. It kind of helps me wrap. Okay. Where's this going to go? Where's this going to go? It's like a guiding light. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a guiding light in Tony Gilroy's head as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Tony Gilroy is Tony Gilroy and we are who we are. So maybe we should, maybe we should throw out all formulas. What fuck and- does that mean? Tasha? <laughs> What does that even mean? <laughs> I know he started on <laughs> such a high. You were so inspired, and here I am bringing you down. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, man. He's just like everyone else. They he just is can write stories,
0: really good ones,
1: really good ones. Yeah, you know what? Just one more thing about this formula thing, because yeah. there's always a lot of pushback, and I think there was always that pushback to the Blake Snyder Save the Cat, yeah, and um, because it was like you can't have this formulaic thing and there's not a page 12 with the catalyst and this and that but there kind of is like that's the thing is that there kind of is in all of these different movies where you can kind of pinpoint all right well this is a big turning point like that's the midpoint of this movie and Mm -hmm. that's kind of the low point like man this person just got killed and now what's that person gonna do you know like yeah
0: well that's the irony is that he's saying don't pay attention to formulas Pay attention to your instinct of how movies work, but the formulas are a result of instincts of how stories work. Wow. So right. Yeah. I mean, use them if it's a tool for you, I think, but don't be a slave to them.
1: No. Okay.
0: Okay. So I have a little bonus content from oh Tony God. Gilroy.
1: Let's go. Is that this I think on you our... will really enjoy. Is this on here or the Patreon that we have?
0: Um. So <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, that we don't have. Yeah. (laughs) All right. He talks about how to write good action scenes, which Josh, you and I are very big fans of the Bourne series. And there's no better action than in Bourne.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I was just fascinated by what he had to say. And it's actually very simple, where he says, if I write an action sequence it has to be in a real place. So in Born, he actually wrote scenes after going to the locations of where these places these scenes would take place. So he like went to Berlin, he went to Moscow and he looked around and said, "Okay, like there's that restaurant right there. What if he grabbed a bottle of vodka from right there?" And then, "Okay, like the market is shaped this way, which means it would be really difficult for a car to get in this way." Like he would go to places and then build action scenes around place and his favorite thing to do when he would do this is what is wrong with the location what Mm. is difficult what could go wrong in this place because of the way that it's set up and in born legacy on when they're in the philippines he went to that location and he looked at how difficult it would be for like a car to drive here and like what would be the scariest thing it would be to like go off the bridge and into the water, right? So like, that's, I mean, to be fair, that's a luxury. We can't all travel to Berlin and Moscow and look at the market. But if you can get as much knowledge of a location specific to your action set piece as possible, and you and I have definitely talked about how we like look at maps and Google street views and all of that to just kind of take ourselves there virtually if you can, that can only help you build your action scenes in really unique ways. And that was just his key, that was it. It's just realism.
1: You know what's really crazy about that is I feel like so many of my action scenes have been influenced from Born. Yeah. So much so that I even reference Born in almost all of my action scenes. Oh my because gosh. there's always a close quarter fist like yeah. and I'll always write in like this is a this is a Born style fight. And you kind of yeah. get what that means. Yeah. And I I've written scenes where you're using practical things that are around you. Like mm-hmm. there, Oh my God, there's a check's Mix bag over there. I'm going to shove that in this person's mouth or there's yeah. wires on this wall. I'm going to wrap that around their neck. And that's all birthed from born. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until you just said something.
0: I love that. He's your inspiration. He has to be on this podcast.
1: <sighs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get him on.
0: Another another tip he said, which I almost don't want to tell you because you already tend in this direction anyways. Tell me. But he said when he writes an action scene, he wants to write it as fast as fucking possible. Just get as pumped up as possible, like caffeine, anything he can to like make his energy like really, really, really fast so that the scene just becomes super, super kinetic. So like I drink five Zoas and go yeah. write your train action scene and I bet.
1: No, I definitely already do this. <laughs> That is, that's like that's like when my fingers are moving the fastest on a keyboard is when I'm writing an action scene.
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: Punch, kick, bah,
0: yeah. That's it. That's Tony Gilroy's sort of lessons, tips on writing an original screenplay. I love it. it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: this is so important because everyone's writing. You should be writing original screenplays. I think.
0: I think. I'd like to. I'm really bad at it. No, you're not. It's fine. It'll be fine.
1: I'm gonna. I promise you. Ish that by the end of this year we're gonna have written an original screenplay.
0: Okay, I believe you. Yeah. All right. Quote of the day. Let's go. No one should feel sorry for a successful screenwriter, Tony Gilroy. Hmm. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha3.0.
1: And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter and Josh Hallman on Instagram.
0: And as always, the Act 2 Podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414Bag, which you can find on Spotify.